The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. This is what we're going to look at, this first chapter of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to take three weeks to cover this this short book. This is a follow-up to 1 Thessalonians. Um, probably talks more about eschatology than almost any other. That is the doctrine of last things, what's going to lead up to Jesus coming and so forth, than any of the other epistles. Uh, and so what we're looking at today in this section of Scripture is how God will purify the world for his people. This world has been affected by the fall, but Jesus Christ is going to do something wonderful. He's going to cleanse this world, and we're going to be living in a world that has the effect of the work of Christ on it, and we're going to be in the presence of Christ. Um, and so we're, we're looking at this passage to see how he's going to purify the world for his people. Uh, that's a wonderful gift that he's going to give us. I'm not going to read this again because it was just read. It, it is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, I don't know how that typo got there. Um, and it, Ecclesiastes 8.11 is a passage that you probably have run onto before. It says, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Now, what he means by that is, if sin is not judged, what it does, it causes people to think that it's okay to be disobedient to the law or to God. And all of you probably have seen 48 Hours on CBS. I hope you haven't, because it happens on Saturday night, so you probably didn't get a good night's sleep. But anyway, it's a, what it is, it's a program about retrying a bunch of trials that they think maybe didn't get the proper uh, uh, results. I don't like the program myself, because... Imagine what this would be like. How could you possibly defend yourself with, from these people who have this show and are going to prove that there's real doubt about your innocence and they're going to see who is really guilty? So how do you feel when you hear about an evil deed that's not punished? Well, you begin to think maybe there's no uh, justice in this world. We've seen so much of that lately, of people being accused of horrible crimes and they're swearing up and down that that's not what took place at all. And so these Christians at Thessalonica had begun to feel this way. And the reason was is because they were experiencing persecution and affliction. But I want to show you something. This is amazing. I think this is worth the whole chapter in verses 3 and 4 of 2 Thessalonians 1. This amazed me as I thought about it, although it's, it's, this is not the only place in the New Testament where it's taught, but it just hit me in such a way. And this is what Paul writes. He says, we ought always to thank, to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And I want to tell you if, you, if you make disciples, this is what you want more than anything else. You'd like to know how to see this happen. What kind of a discipleship program should we have to see people grow in their faith and deepen their love for one another? How does that happen? Well, get this. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. 
In other words, what he is saying is God used afflictions and persecutions in your life in order to change your character. And these people began to love one another like they had never loved one another before and to deepen their faith and confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. Isn't that amazing? Because I think it's pretty common for us as believers is when we're having troubles, we're trying to get every answer we can to get rid of those troubles. At least I'm that way. Maybe you're not that way, but I'm that way. If there's things going on that you don't like and you're wondering how to get rid of them. And so I found this to be true among all of us that we're all looking for, when you hear about somebody suffering or going through something difficult, you're wanting to give them a solution. Maybe it's to listen to a certain sermon or maybe it's to take a certain medication or maybe it's to hear a certain explanation of, of, of uh, counseling. I mentioned last week, I think it was, that in 1986, a book came out called Competent to Counsel, and it was the presentation of a new way at that time of doing Christian counseling. It's actually called biblical counseling, but it was, it's called nuthetic counseling because nuthetao means to conf confront someone to the face, to tell them the truth that they need to hear. You know, we're always having people ask us questions, and we know what the answer they want. Like, does this make me look fat? Does this make me look old? And so forth. And so we know not to answer those questions. That's, that's a fool's game. You just keep your mouth shut and roll your eyes and, and walk the other way. But here, these people were growing because of persecution and affliction. Now, I'm sure some of you are going through something like that right now. You're going through something that you could refer to as affliction or persecution. Persecution has to do primarily with people uh, doing harm to you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They want to persecute you for that. Whereas affliction is just really hard times. Well, all of us are probably, there's probably almost all of us are going through, a lot of us are going through things where we just got out of things or we're just entering into things where we feel like we need to change things. We need to smooth this out. I need to get rid of all these troubles, these problems. And here Paul is telling them the reason that you're growing in faith and a deeper love for one another is because of the persecutions and, and afflictions that God has allowed you to go through. And so what Paul is doing, he's writing them and encouraging them by speaking truth and love. That's what nuthetic counseling is. Speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we think it's impossible. If I tell you the truth, it's not going to be in love because it's going to hurt your feelings. That ain't true. It's not true either. It's a, it, it is a, it's a non-truth. God wants to show us how to speak the truth in love. When we have to say hard things to people. And the Spirit of God can guide us through that process by us showing them love, even though we're telling them a truth they don't want to hear. Is that true? You've all experienced that, haven't you? Well, here are these people. They're going through these very difficult times. And yet he is saying that these difficult times are producing growth in you that we can measure by the fact that your faith has been enlarged. It's gotten deeper. It's become more predominant in your life, and your love for fellow believers is growing. How in the world is that? I mean, I'm not going to have you sign up for a, 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 
you know, some persecution or affliction. I, I don't like to suffer. But the fact is, he is saying that God is able to use affliction and persecution in your life to bring about real change, being conformed into the image of Christ. All of us are aware of the fact that we've been called to make disciples for Jesus Christ. That's the primary mission of the church, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's the primary mission of all believers. And sometimes it's frustrating because it almost seems like there are times the harder you try, the less results you see. And here he says, God sometimes steps in and he adds an element to this that strangely really does the job. God does something wonderful in the lives of people in whose lives he is working. Uh, so he gives thanks for their present perseverance in verses 3 through 10. This is a major part of this section. He mentions two reasons for thanksgiving, why he is giving thanks for them. The first is because they continue to grow in the midst of their trials. Do you ever feel like this, that if I could just get rid of this big problem in my life, I could really do a lot better as a Christian? And God says, no, I think you need a little bit more. I think you need a little bit more time of persecution and affliction in order to reach your heart. That's what he has said to me at times by his actions in my life. And I praise God for it. I hate afflictions and I hate persecutions, but I love the product. And God's able to do what we can't do. You know that verse, God causes all things to work together for good, Romans 8, 28, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Well, it includes this. God can take difficult times in your life. Perhaps you're in a time right now and somebody is criticizing you in such a severe way that it's like a knife in your heart and you're wondering how to get them to change their attitude towards you. Maybe they don't need to. Maybe what you need is to realize that God is in control of your life and he has orchestrated this very thing that you want so much to get rid of because he wants to do a good work in your life. He wants to conform you to the image of his son. And what did Jesus experience? Well, if you've read the story, you know he's experienced persecution and affliction to the point of death. And I'm not suggesting that God wants to kill you. <laughs> but the fact is, he uses persecution and affliction to do a good work in the lives of his children. And so we shouldn't always just run in the other direction and try to eliminate all the problems in our lives. Sometimes we choose to get away from certain people because they seem like they're such an obstacle to us because somehow they're not impressed with us the way we are. And then we discovered, you know, that was the, that was the mouthpiece of God. That person was speaking what I needed to hear from the living God. And it's an amazing thing. I've been tickled about this in my own life because I've been having some problems with sleep, and so I've, I've heard every kind of cure there is. I've had people give me different kinds of medications and all these kind of things, and nothing has solved the problem. And in fact, it's only made things worse. It's just our nature. We are the American people, and so we find solutions to problems, don't we? And sometimes we don't realize that maybe God isn't looking for a solution. He's looking for transformation in our lives. And so he's put some difficult person in your life in order to bring home to your heart 
the reality that he can conform you into the image of his own son. He can bring you to the place where you really love his people and you trust him. And so he's giving them thanks. And he says, I, I give thanks because they grow. And then secondly, he says, because they can count on God's righteous judgment. You know, you can leave judgment unto God. He's the one who's going to judge. Are you going to be wronged in this life? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar. You bet you're going to experience unfair things. Yes, you are going to experience things that you don't deserve. You can, you can be misunderstood. And that can take such a toll on us because we don't see the fact that God is in control of my life. And sometimes he brings affliction and persecution on my life in order to produce a change in my heart. How in the world would you ever get a group of people that you were discipling to have a deeper trust in God? How would you get them to love one another? I want to tell you, I don't have a formula for that. I can tell people, as you know, I get so repetition, keep on telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you, you ought to do this, you ought to do this, you ought to do this. That doesn't change anybody, does it? I've noticed something. It's just it's a real simple thing, and that is that uh, what, what really has impact on people's lives is not you being right and letting them know you're right and they're wrong. What God does is when you manifest the character of Christ, when you love people the way Christ loved people, and you're able to joyfully serve them, that has such incredible impact on their lives. That draws them to you instead of pushing them away. And uh, this is what God, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example of it, isn't it? Sometimes we get offended that he's so loving to people that we, we think you should be a little bit rigid with. I need to just tell this person five things about themselves that they need to understand that's all crazy and they need to change it. And Jesus Christ loves them. He manifests love to them. And so what does that do? Well, it's like the, the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Remember that? And Jesus asked the Pharisee who was watching and very offended by it that the reason that she showed so much care for him was because she was forgiven so much because she was loved so deeply. She had been loved by Jesus Christ. He had manifested love towards her in the way he treated her, the way he spoke to her. And so he tells us, uh, because they continue to grow and because they can count on God's righteous judgment, and that's, that's from five, the, about verse 5 all the way to the end of the chapter, he's telling them, you can count on God's righteous judgment. He's bringing judgment on this world. And so, and, and let me just read this to you. Verse 5, the last part of verse 5 says, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He says, this is why it's good that you're going through this, is so that you can be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's letting them go on in their persecution so that when he does judge them, it's going to be obvious that that is righteousness. That is a manifestation of justice when he steps in and does this. And to, gr and to grant relief to you, because you're the ones being persecuted, to, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, 
inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those are two different groups of people, by the way. Now, we know that only because of the construction. It's real clear to us that there are two kinds of people he's talking about. He's talking about those who don't know God and those who don't believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's talking about is something like what Paul said in Ephesians 2. Before we heard about Christ, we were without God. We were totally without God. Once we heard about Christ and the gospel came to us, we had the opportunity, if the Spirit of God opened our eyes up to the reality of who Christ was, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are some people who haven't even heard the gospel. There's probably people that you know that haven't heard the gospel. And that's a shame, isn't it? That God's called you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people that he brings into your path that don't know it. They don't know the truth of it. And you can, you can tell them accurately from the scriptures exactly what God has done in Christ Jesus. How has he dealt with the things in your life? What has he done? And so he tells us that, uh, that Christ will ultimately do something to his enemies, those who persecute his people, and it's going to be in righteousness. It's going to be a manifestation of righteousness. And then he gives a twofold message addressed to the suffering saints at Thessalonica. He's telling them something important. He says he reveals, first of all, how he's, God's going to accomplish his work of purification. How is he going to do it? How is he going to purify this world so that when Christ comes, we're going to live in his presence in a world that is dominated by righteousness? It's characterized by righteousness and love and truth. And so he's going, to, he's going to do two things. He's going to bring retribution and relief. Retribution to those who are, who are persecuting his people and relief to his people who are being persecuted. Can I, wait in that, can I wait in that situation long enough for God to do a work in my life? Is it possible for me to say, I don't have to have this persecution eliminated today. I just need to know that you're at work in my life. I need to know that you are, have your hand upon me. Now I can tell you why you can know that for sure. Because the Bible tells us that God is continually working in the lives of his children to conform them into the image of Christ. In fact, uh, if you remember that, this is, this is exactly what the New Testament teaches about us growing in the faith, is we are being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. Christ is being formed in us. And we're changing. And the, re- and the results of that change is we begin to love people, as he says, that God has put in our lives, fellow believers, and we're able to deepen our faith, our trust in God. Have you ever heard somebody share the gospel in your personal life that you were convinced they were absolutely sure of that truth? See, that's what he wants to do in us. He wants to to develop in us a deep and profound assurance of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to use us as his mouthpieces to tell them the truth. And so he reveals how God's going to accomplish this work through retribution and then through relief. He's going to bring relief to his people who are suffering, and he's going to bring retribution to those who are causing their suffering. But it isn't just he's vindictive. It's that he has justice. He does the right thing. He manifests his righteousness. So he deals with people that we can't deal with. You already realize that you can't get people, you can't straighten people out. But you, but you might not be aware of this. I'm talking about yourself. 
you can't get yourself just right, can you? Have you noticed that? In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this. He says, I can't believe it. I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. I read God's commandments, and I say, yes, I want that in my life. And yet, what do I do? He says, the commandment comes to me, and I disobey it. And then he cries out. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body, the body of this death? It's a kind of death. It's it's talking about the believer. I've been forgiven. And every time I sin, I can simply go to the Father and confess my sins. This is 1 John 1, 9. I can confess my sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But I still hate the fact that I still sin. I still am tempted to sin. Aren't you? Yeah, it's really disappointing, isn't it? And so you can understand when Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's ever going to deliver me from the body of this death? It's as though I've got something built into me that gets tempted to do exactly what you command me that I should not do. And then we find out that God is using every element in your life as a part of his good process of conforming you into the image of Christ. I mean, what would it take to conform you into the image of Christ? (laughs) I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? If you started saying, yeah, I've been conformed to the image of Christ, everybody would say, boy, they're sure duped, aren't they? Can you imagine them thinking that they're in the image of Christ? But that's exactly what God is doing. He's conforming us. Now, he may use some things that you don't like. He may use, like he does in this context, the the persecution and the affliction in their life. And so maybe they were praying, God, eliminate these people. Wipe them off the face of the earth. And then God begins to save some of them, and they realize, wow, this is amazing. God, instead of destroying them, has caused them to come to faith in Jesus Christ through my testimony. Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely astounding that that's how God works. So I want to encourage you. Before I do anything else, I just want to encourage you. If you're going through a time when you feel like, man, if I could just get rid of this, then my Christian life would really be great. Maybe that's the very thing that God wants to use in your life to bring you to the place where your faith is increased and your love for one another is broadened and grows. Maybe this is what, exactly what he's using, is the people that you can hardly stand to be around, that just seem to drive you crazy. And maybe you're thinking, you know, um, I obviously need to grow because... I'm just really being affected by this. I shouldn't affect me. And so you pretend as though it has no effect on you. And you're lying through your teeth because it has a deep and profound effect on you. I had a guy a couple of years ago. We hadn't seen each other in a long time, and so we met and had lunch. And he said to me, did I ever ask your forgiveness for, and he just mentioned the time period, and I said, I didn't know that you needed to. And he, said, and he, and he just bared his heart, and he said, I want you to know that I did the wrong thing, and I'm really sorry. I I want your forgiveness. That was was one of those things I didn't even experience the the pain of knowing that somebody had, had these kind of feelings toward me. But instead, God let me see the effect of it. Well, this is what he says that God's going to do in the retribution and then the relief, that he's going to actually deal with people who are standing against the 
the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing against people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to give back to them what they're due. Now, that doesn't mean he's vindictive and he's, he needs a pound of flesh. It means that he understands exactly what a person needs. He, he knows exactly what they need in response to their particular kind of sin against the gospel and against his people. He's put you in the presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He actually has manifested his love towards you. And, and uh, it's okay to quote 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 where it says, God desires all men to be saved. And if that ruffles your theological feathers, then get over it and just say, I don't understand how to put this together with this, but it says right here that God desires all men to be saved, all people to be saved. So when you, when you have a desire to see someone come to faith in Christ, recognize what, that's where it's coming from. It's coming from the God of the universe who sent his only son into the world to die for us so that we could be made one with him. We could enter into this fellowship with the living God. This is reality. Him, him coming to manifest retribution is, is in the present tense. It means it's a process. It's a process over time. It's not revenge or vindictiveness, but it's a manifestation of righteousness and justice. And it's, it's, it is vengeance which proceeds out of justice and renders the criminal the punishment he deserves. You see, what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example, it says, knowing the fear of the Lord, that is, knowing that what the kind of judgment that God's bringing in this world, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest in, to God, and I hope that we are made manifest in your circumstance. In other words, he's saying, oh, I, I want to see, see righteousness accomplished. I want to see God vindicated. I want to see God vindicated. You've met people who have this rotten attitude about God. You know, you, the, new, the new atheists, are. this is what their slogan is. We don't believe in God and we hate him. And so we want God to, to be manifested in his righteousness and for people to see the truth of who he is. But what is this penalty? Well, it's eternal. But what kind, internal in what sense? This is the ultimate example. It is they are separated from God. It's really interesting in the, in the Bible how both the Old and New Testament, they use terms to, that mean uh, eternity, but they're not, they, they, it's not a, like they've come up with a word for eternity. They just say things like under the ages. Or the Old Testament word olam, olam means as long as that which pertains, pertains. In other words, it's a permanent, ongoing reality. And God is going to be who he is for all eternity. He is the God of righteousness, and he is the God of love. Isn't it amazing? You came to faith in Christ maybe some years ago, and God has been faithful all these years. Isn't that something, how faithful he has been? And he's, he's told you the truth. He's exposed you to truth. He keep, and he keeps on telling you the same thing. I love you, and I've manifested my love for you by sending my son to rescue you so that you could come back into my family and be a part of a family member of the living God and to be blessed by him. All those who did not want anything to do with God will get their wish. Now, there's a truth that you ought to be aware of, and that is that all, everyone who wants to spend eternity with God can. But that desire only comes through spiritual birth. It's only as the Holy Spirit works in a life 
that a, a, a new desire is given to them. I want to spend eternity with a living God. He says here that one of the problems we have in, in the future, if we reject the gospel, if we reject God's, God's promise and offer of eternal life, he says, will be put away from the glory of his might. The glory of his might. The word might that's translated might is one of the words in the New Testament for power, but it has something special about it. It means a skillful, beneficial power. A skillful, beneficial power. And there are a lot of people you're going to meet who think they've never seen it, but they have every day. Right now, the unsaved enjoy the display of the Lord's power. For example, we're told in Colossians 1, he holds the universe together. You know why this thing isn't flying apart? It's because God holds it together in the person of his son. He sends rain, Matthew 6. In James chapter 1, it says he supplies all good things in life. It's God who does that. Imagine what it's going to be like when they're cut off, when they're put away from the presence of the Lord. They'll never again see a sunrise. They'll never again see a spring rain. They'll never again see a newborn baby. Can you imagine that? Never again see a newborn baby. They'll never again see a a human being. And you think, well, wait a minute, I thought it was going to be crowded in hell. No, it's going to be total isolation. Total isolation. Because there's going to be no manifestation of God's might, his power, his glorious power. We're going to be all alone. Can you imagine what it would be like for all eternity being separated from God and every other human being? Maybe you thought there was going to be parties in hell. No. There's going to be aloneness. And this is, this is the just response to the hatred they have for the living God. But there's also going to be relief. And that relief is, he gives a twofold message here addressing the suffering saints. Retribution to, the, to his enemies, but relief for his children. When you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what you're promised is relief. He's going to set you free. And the word relief is the word anison. Maybe you've, it, it spells slightly different than the medication that you get, but it's really where that word came from, anison. Because anison is to, is to experience relief. It means that it's the loosening of a taut bow, a string on a bow or on a guitar, and letting the pressure off. You ever feel like you're under pressure? Like life is just filled with all kinds of pressures? Sure. Well, anison, or relief, is when he loosens the bow. We're going to be into in eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever studied the whole topic of the kingdom of God. It's amazing. See, you, you all are aware of the verse, and uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you, and so forth. We say things like that. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the rule of God. It's when you're living under the rule of God, and you know it. And we get to live within that kingdom for all eternity with one another. What he does in in verses 5 through 10 of this chapter, he tells them what Christ will do for them when he returns. And then in verses 11 and 12, at the very last two verses, he tells them what he wants Christ to do for them now until he comes. What is he praying that God would do now? And basically there's three things he says. He says he wants, the, he wants Christ to make them worthy of their calling. 
All that means is that I actually live by faith. I actually live loving the living God and therefore loving his people. So he says he's praying that they would be made worthy of their calling. And then secondly, he wants to enable them to fulfill every desire for goodness. We want to see Christ glorified in people's lives. It's the most wonderful thing to watch God work in a person's life and to see them, how they're affected by it. It's such a blessing because Christ is glorified. In the, in the Living Bible, it's, this is how it translates this, this particular idea. It says that our God will make you as good as you wish to be. That God would make you as good as you really wish you could be. God wants to bless your life. He wants to make you fruitful. The new birth changes your wishes. Being born again. If you remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus and he issued his verdict of, of Jesus. He says, you know, you must have come from God because of all these things you do and say. And Jesus says to him, oh, you can't see it or understand it until you're born again. That being born again or born of the Spirit is what happens at salvation. We are given new life and we're changed into the likeness of Christ and we begin to desire exactly what God desires. And so this is the way it translates, that our God will make you as good as you wish you could be. That's wonderful. I I read someplace about a sign on a church building and it said, uh, on a marquee outside, it said, a moderately good Christian is like a moderately good egg. Isn't that appetizing? <laughs> and so he's, he's praying that God would enable them to engage in a work of faith that's characterized by power. That they could, they could actually manifest faith in power. Well, what's that like? Well, it's people reaching out to others who need Christ. They need God to work in their lives in some way. Maybe they're believers and they just need God to do something obvious because they're going through a very difficult time. And so we need to, we we can manifest the love of Christ because of what God's done in our lives. Maybe you've actually experienced some persecution or affliction lately and you wonder, why is this going on? Why does God allow this? Oh, he did that in order to make you more like Jesus. So you could better, in a much more effective way, you could show the love of Christ and faith in Christ than you could before. That's a good enough reason, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful thing that God would do that? That he would let you go through difficulties so that he could increase your capacity to have faith and to have love for one another? That's what he does. In fact, let me read this to you. This is 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 17, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, when he comes. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why are you blessed? He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're especially blessed by the spirit of God when that happens, when you are reviled. Sometimes uh, it's a wonderful thing for somebody to say something negative about you because you're a follower of Jesus. That's a great blessing. That's what he's saying. You're blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And he says, but let none suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yes, 
if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So what will be the outcome for those who do not? If this begins in the household of God, if the suffering begins in the household of God, what is it going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel of God? Sometimes we think we've got the biggest problems in all the world. How am I ever going to get through this? And God wants to say, oh, you don't understand. You're blessed. You're gloriously blessed. And this is just going to be used for your good. That, that Romans 8.28 is not a mistake. No, let the Spirit of God work in your heart. Let the Spirit of God convince you that the reason that you're suffering what you're suffering or you're being ridiculed like you're being ridiculed is because God is shaping your heart like the heart of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. These kind of things aren't mistakes. They're not, they're not uh, God forgetting who you are and him not carrying through like he ought to. But instead, what he's doing, he's preparing you for an eternity with Christ. And he wants you to be used as an instrument in his hands in the lives of people. What, a, what an amazing truth that God can shape us and change us and form Christ in us so that we can love people the way Jesus Christ loves people. I'm lousy at that, and I know it in this sense that I hate it when I'm having trouble. It never even crossed my mind before I read this passage that God lets you go through trouble because he, has, he wants to do something in your heart. He wants to form Christ in your heart. Is it, worth the, is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the pain? Absolutely, it's worth the pain. It's worth the struggle. He is able to do in us what we can't even imagine. He's able to change you into the person that you most want to be, a person who can be an instrument in the hands of Jesus Christ that actually touches people's lives. I've known guys, I've talked to people about making disciples, and it's, the great frustration is this. I don't seem to, to see any effects. No matter how hard I work, no matter how much I use, I can't, seem to, I can't seem to see any real effects. Well, here he tells us these effects come through something that you can't orchestrate. This is something that God does. And because God is the one upon whom we are dependent, this is what I'm supposed to do. When I get involved in making disciples, I'm supposed to understand that only God, only Christ can do what I desire to be done in this person's life. It's Christ and Christ alone. And he's able to do it. He's able to do it in your life. He's able to do it in my life. So I just want to leave you with that. I, I pray that, uh, that you could see that God is in control of this process, including your troubles. That your troubles are not outside of his care and outside of his sovereignty. I once heard a guy, I think he had muscular dystrophy, but in a very severe case of it. He was bedfast, and he could talk a little bit, but he was really suffering. And the person asked him, what kind of, what gives you the most comfort? Because he was a believer, and he said that God is sovereign. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people who wouldn't want to hear that. That's the best thing, that God is sovereign? Yes, because I can rest in the fact that whatever he decides to do in my life, it's going to be the very best because of who he is and his love for me. That's true. That may even offend you, but it's true. God is sovereign because the Bible says it. 
a thousand times. He is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. And I can trust him. I can depend upon him. I can rely upon him. He knows what he's doing. And we can rest in that. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that has come to us through those who brought it. We are so thankful, Father. We discovered that you sent your son into the world to reconcile us to you and to restore us and to forgive us and to give us hope and life and to use us for your glory. We thank you, Father, that you're changing us because you want to use us to display the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue this work and help us to be aware of it and thankful for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.